Hi, I'm Stephen Crafty. I'm presenting Talking Design, and I'm here with jeweler of note, Blanche Tilden. Blanche is currently having an exhibition at the Geelong Gallery. Uh, it's on till the 1st of August. Right. And, and it's one of those, it's a 25-year retrospective or a survey show, as they a say. A survey, yeah. A survey. So welcome to the program, Blanche. Thank you, Stephen. Um, Blanche, to have a survey, uh, what does that mean to you for a 25-year retrospective of your work? What does that actually mean to someone like yourself? Well, I think for my work, I, I keep pushing forward and thinking about the next thing. So it was very interesting to work with the curator, Jason Smith, and to see the pieces that he was interested in to uh, illustrate themes in my work. So he looked back through all of the work from those 25 years and together we, we chose pieces to kind of discuss different themes in my work and to show the progress of my ideas and the way I'd use materials. Um, Blanche, you've had an interesting career and you'll continue to have an interesting career. You're still very young. Um, but there, I would have to say there's almost, it's almost unheard of for a student, you're doing postgraduate work yeah. at the uh, university, the, what was ANU. it? ANU. ANU. In Canberra. In Canberra. And one of your pieces in your graduate show was purchased by the uh, Australian uh, Museum, Australian Gallery. The National Gallery of, of Australia. Australia. Yeah, that's right. Almost unheard of. Yeah. So Did I guess that was, reflecting well, get, on that, uh, it, I, I remember the curator who made that purchase and that was Jim Logan and he was a great champion of, of uh, innovative work and he had a great eye and, and he was very supportive and so I was very fortunate to live in Canberra at that time to know Jim and uh, to have the benefit of his, his style and his, his um, active uh, collecting for that. Uh, the decorative arts collection at the NGA. It must have been quite a surprise. <laughs> I mean, not it, many students was, would be. It was fantastic. It was a it was a real whirlwind of a time. So I was finishing my um, course, and then that work was bought by the NGA, and some other work was bought by the National Glass Collection, which is in Wagga. So I think three pieces were bought from that. Um, graduating exhibition but at the same time I also applied to uh, undertake an Australia Council uh, traineeship with Susan Conn and I was successful in um, um, being awarded that traineeship so I straight away just moved on from that work being acquired and up sticks and moved to Melbourne so I really wanted to keep going and work with the best and it just, that really propelled me forward that acquisition. Um. So you've really been going since the mid nineties, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and and the and the show um, at the Geelong Gallery is really uh, a survey, and it goes back and it shows all the work, the early work. Um, why do you think? I mean, what do you think your jewellery says that that really? Um, resonated with curators uh, at the time? I think um, because I had perhaps originally studied 
in glass before I studied jewellery. I had already a sort of a hybrid or a um, cross-disciplinary approach to my work and an understanding of two materials. And I, so I was able to combine them and that, that sort of was a fresh voice or a new approach, combining two materials that quite often, or two disciplines that were quite often separate and they had their own distinct um, history and visual language and, and I found a way to bring them together and in doing that I realised glass had been used for jewellery since the time of the Egyptians so I wasn't really doing anything new but I was making something in the language of this time, the visual language of the time that I lived in so looking at machines and um, repurposing industrial artefacts and, and kind of trying to speak with my own voice about the time that I lived in. Now, Blanche, I don't want to typecast you because <laughs> I think people who are fortunate to see this wonderful exhibition um, will see the the broad nature of your work, and it is very broad. I, I think I was really overwhelmed by how much was actually there. But if people mention the name Blanche Tilden, a lot of them will say bicycle chains. Yes. Because that was an idea that was very early early on it was presented in your work. Yeah. Uh, tell me about how that started, that series of jewellery. Uh, at the time, I lived with somebody who was a passionate cyclist and she actually owned a bike shop. And so we lived above the shop and my whole world was bicycles really at that time and my studio was behind the shop. But also I think I... A few different aspects of bicycles appeal to me. One is that it's a very kind of democratic means of transportation. If you look at the history of the bicycle, it, it, it meant that everybody could move around a lot more easily. They weren't relying on horses and carts or later on on cars. You know, now it's a kind of a, a ecological. Yeah, but before it was just, it, it was very liberating. Bicycles were very liberating and particularly for women and um also, the actual aesthetics of the link of a bike chain are very beautiful, that wasted-in shape or the figure of eight or infinity symbol shape. So you can look at it and, and take it literally as a bicycle chain, but you can also abstract it and see that it's this really beautiful um, form. Of, it's really two circles linked by this beautiful curve. And, and then it, I also, as I kept on working with that shape, thought about the different metaphors that you can attach to the bicycle and and combine that that one that shape of a bike chain link it's almost like a figure of eight or of an infinity symbol what can you link that to and so then taking that off in different tangents so it was a a kind of uh, it meant that I could um, explore one idea in lots of different ways by by exploring this visual language of that one shape now, Blanche, your work was uh, quickly taken up by not just one of Melbourne's leading galleries, but um, probably, you know, top-tier galleries in the world, Gallery Fanaki, and they were very supportive and they still are very supportive of your work. What did it mean at the time being surrounded by some of the world's leading jewellery designers? I mean, you were still very young and you was, your work was represented with people like Otto Kunzli, you know, the best of the best. How did you feel? Or do you, did you never measure yourself against others? I think measuring yourself against other people um, can kind of make you feel like you can never go forward 
you'll never be as good as they are. And so I really think you should just measure yourself against yourself, really. Uh, but it, all those people were very inspiring and the level of professionalism and the level, the level of intellectual sort of engagement that they had, that, that is something to aspire to. When you see somebody like Otto Kunzli capture an idea so succinctly and so um, perfectly, it's like, wow, I wish I could be as good as that. You know, you aspire to that. But I think if you compare yourself to other people, um, yeah, I would, I would never do anything because you think, well, never be that good, you know. You can only be your own version of your best self or whatever the pop psychology is. But certainly it, it, it's also that other saying, if you can see it, you can be it, you know. So it, it's like I want to be like that. I want to I do something as good as that for sure. Yeah. Well, I, I think those who are fortunate to see this exhibition, and I really, I am pushing it, but I really think you'd be mad not to see this exhibition because it is so broad. I think what struck me, there were a number of themes that run through uh, the exhibition, but also the standard, the quality. I don't look at the work from 1995 and see a student, a student mm. preparing uh, a piece. Mm. And I don't, it's so consistent with the latter work mm. that there's a continuity there and, and, and a rigour that really starts from day one, Blanche. Yeah, so I think that that probably comes from, you know, that point where that work was purchased in 1995. I actually started studying full-time at art school in 1988. So I have had a lot of um, education in hand-making, in, in working with materials for a number of years, and I have pursued that full-time for a long time. So I'm a really good maker. I can make anything pretty much that I set my mind to in whatever material I choose to use. So um, that I think you, some people in the crafts become really obsessed with te technique. And I, I often say it's like being able to speak fluent Russian by being able to use these techniques, but what are you going to say? So you really need to have a balance of technical aptitude or technical technical ability and then develop your own visual language your own understanding of materials and then what do you want to say with your work and I think once I finished art school and I did have this amazing set of skills by practicing every day for quite a few years working with Susan Conn really taught me how to find something to say with this language well I think that's what's interesting about the pieces on display in Geelong mm -hmm. you look at a piece and then you almost can read the story at the same time. Wow. But, but I think you can, those who know jewellery. I mean, you obviously, you've made it accessible, or Jason Smith has made it accessible mm. and engaging. But, for instance, there's um, a series of brooches that are very mm. strong in the exhibition mm. that are almost like miniature forms of architecture. Mm. Um, obviously, they're made of... Uh, plastic or perspex mm. um, or steel or mild steel. Mm. But you can see there's a in the exhibition you've got a plan or a, mm. an upscaled model with mm. little small figures in the in the foreground mm. and trees. So if an architect presented those schemes, he'd probably get an, a major architectural award for <laughs> those schemes. So there's that dialogue. What is it about architecture that you find so engaging, Blanche? Well, I think the, one of the first things that I found engaging about um, modern architecture, so modern architecture starting 
with the Crystal Palace built for the Great Exhibition in 1851 is the use of materials. So the Crystal Palace is made of or was made of glass and cast iron. And so those in two London. materials in London. And then there, there were other buildings built like that quite often, the big train stations and um, the Palais de Machines and also around the same time the Eiffel Tower was built in Paris for the uh, another um, exhibition, I think in... Uh, 1895. Yeah, something, 1889, something like that. So th that was this big kind of leap where glass could be used in architecture uh, more extensively because of the way that it kind of pushed the limit of the size of the piece of glass could just be repeated and repeated and repeated and built and built like a meccano set just bolted together. And that, for me, that was a real click where I thought, well, that's kind of how I make jewellery. So I just keep making these same parts and keep making it bigger and bigger and bigger. And so when I really researched the Crystal Palace and also other kind of industrial revolution era engineering, like the work of um, Brunel, it was starting with simple elements that were um, extrapolated out and built into bigger pieces. And so um, that that started my interest in architecture. And also coming from a background of working in glass studios, sort of in the Bauhaus model of you concentrate on a material, this was a different way of using glass. It's not like in the hot shop where you see somebody in Murano in Venice blowing glass. It's using glass in a sheet form. So similar in a way to how you use metal in a sheet form. So it makes it easy to make these crossovers and, and, swapping one thing for another and it makes it it's like a hybrid approach so it just made sense and then it it opened a whole new world to me of making glass jewelry i mean there's if in the exhibition there's also these wonderful other brooches mm. um that kind of pick up on the terrain of mm. ambra so mm. when you look at each individual piece they're quite abstract um, and for those who can't immediately place those brooches, you immediately look at the plan behind, you go, look, it's Canberra, here's mm. a roundabout, here's, mm. a, here's a street. So mm. that's obviously been an important part of your upbringing, Canberra, and, and the terrain. Yeah, and I, I lived in Canberra for five years while I was a student there. And it's from uh, growing up, uh, on the south coast of Wollongong, which is very kind of rugged. And uh, my father worked at the BHP Steelworks. So it was this juxtaposition of this really beautiful natural world of the coast and the mountains behind it. And then in between the coast and the mountains was this huge belching steelworks, you know. So I always had this um, understanding of industrial processes and making things from raw materials. But then moving to Canberra, that layout of the whole city it's a planned city so I think the only other planned city in that way is Brasilia you know so it's completely planned from scratch it, it hasn't evolved over time and and it and the design of um, the city by Walter Burley Griffin really responds to the topography it really nestles into the landscape so that is very striking when you're not from Canberra to be able to see that particularly if you go up to somewhere like Mount Ainsley and look down and see Parliament House and the War Memorial and you see all these axis points and lines and responding to the lake down the middle. It's, it's very beautiful. Canberra's very beautiful. Um, Blanche, I'm interested in how you kind of start the process. Like when you're looking for new work, when you're thinking of a new idea, 
how do you start? Is it, is it something you feel like you, it's in your, being in your mind for years or you see something out there and you say, ah, this is a whole new body of work? How does something start with you think, generally? It's um, uh, usually lots of things spinning around in my head all the time. And then something, as it kind of coalesces, you kind of see things or hear things more and more often and, and quite often um, it's affected by the people I live with, the people I work with and where I live and, and these things just um, kind of come together and I kind of describe it as catching smoke. You're trying to nail something that you have to give it a form and you have to, uh, it's usually through the materials that you can find a way to uh, bring it all together. But if you, it's, I'm a little bit superstitious. I think if you try to analyse how you do that, you'll never be able to do it again. It just somehow clicks. And if you had to say, yesterday I didn't know how to do this and today I do, uh, yeah, it's difficult. But I also make models. So I'm not a great drawer, but I do make models out of other materials like bits of old lunchbox or straws. Or it's a bit like a marquette. A marquette, yeah. And and work, it, work out what I'm doing with models because quite often – the, the aspect that really makes my work sing that's unexpected and you can't see really in the exhibition is that they all move. Each, each link moves on the next and each piece has movement. So uh, to get that movement just right, you have to keep on tweaking the tolerances of holes and wires and materials and make it all work together. So, yeah. Has it ever crossed your mind? Because I've seen your work how you work and you yes. make everything yourself. Does it ever cross your mind? You think, look, I could actually, I'd prefer just to put the idea in a maquette and, and inform someone else, or do you actually enjoy the making it still? Mm. And that, you know, you'd feel uncomfortable if someone else was to make something you designed. I wouldn't feel uncomfortable, but, uh, maybe the market in Australia wouldn't really support, uh, that so I don't know who else would make it and, and in what quantity it would be made to um, make it worth paying somebody else to do it and uh, um, I do enjoy making very much so it is a big part of of doing it but I do get people to help me and I also use uh, industrial processes and and digital processes like having things laser cut and water jet cut and 3d printed and to speed up that process and those technologies didn't exist uh, when I first started working. So I know what it's like to make everything from scratch. But now if I can get some help through some part of the process, I'll, I'll definitely do that. <laughs> um, Blanche, do you uh, personally, do you prefer your pieces to be worn or are you just as happy to see them displayed on a shelf? And I always prefer to see them being worn. I think jewellery, yeah, jewellery needs to be worn it's jewellery is really about communication between people and so when jewellery is being worn then it, it really it, it comes alive and so it's it's like when it's in a, in a case it's almost asleep you know when it when it's worn it really comes alive and other people react to it they see it starts conversations and it's a way of people communicating something that they want to say on that day the day that they decide to wear that I think everybody has a a lucky brooch or their grandmother's ring or, you know, jewellery has so many more meanings than just um, 
just the when it's just sitting still it, it becomes animated and comes alive when it's being worn and then you can start telling stories with the jewelry which is always really interesting um uh blanche it the exhibition will be going to uh, sydney uh wagga toowoomba Seppelsfield uh, Gallery in the Barossa Valley and Cam and the Canberra Museum and Art Gallery, correct? Right. Yeah. So that's it. so it's not just uh, a coup for Geelong. It'll be actually lots of people will be seeing this exhibition. I hope I hope lots of people can see the exhibition and um, it, it will be great to uh, be able to see people in all those places because they're all places that um, have a connection either with contemporary jewellery or glass or you know, different points in my life. So um, I think anybody who has seen the exhibition so far has been completely blown away by it. And I really hope other people can see it uh, when when we're all allowed out again. We're, we're in lockdown at the moment in Melbourne, but uh, when the gallery opens again, it will be great if people can get down and see the show. Look, um, I really, I, it's one of those exhibitions that... Uh, you really need time to digest everything. And it is so broad. I mean, there's so much um, to take in. You really need time to really digest it and mm. to really think about each piece. But I think they're also, they're very varied. I mean, there's a lovely piece in the exhibition that is is evocative of the time that you spent swimming yeah. as a child. And it's mm. kind of this blue glass or mm. blue infused glass and it's quite different from some of the more industrial pieces so it's, mm. it's a very broad uh, perspective of of your interest and in your work well it's a it's a condensed down version of 25 years so you know it's um but i an aspect of glass that i really love it's kind of counterintuitive because glass is made by melting sand so it's made by heat but it's actually glass is a liquid you know it's it's a solid at the moment but it can be a liquid so that's why I always think of glass when I am swimming when you're looking through that that kind of watery blues and greens when you're swimming it reminds me of glass and uh, um, glass is just such a beautiful material that we really take for granted because we're surrounded by it and um, I hope that by being able to contemplate those pieces people will think about glass in a new way and, and reconsider it Look, I think this is hopefully this will be a bit of a reawakening of how important contemporary jewellery is, not just to Melbourne, but to Australia. I mean, we really are at the forefront, particularly in Melbourne, mm. of contemporary jewellery. And I think this show is really an example of why it's so important uh, going forward. Well, it would be fantastic if it reinvigorated an interest in contemporary jewellery because uh, so many of the um, places where people can learn how to make work like this. And I was so fortunate to have the best teachers in the country and some of the best teachers in the world when I was a student. A lot of those courses have been scaled down or closed. So it would be wonderful if it did reinvigorate the next generation to be interested in the potential of jewellery. That would be great. Um, thanks so much for coming on the program, Blanche. And, You're welcome. And really, I can't thank you enough for all your work. And I think everyone, if they are fortunate to see it, uh, will not be disappointed. It's really a great, great survey. So thanks so much for being on the show today. Thank you, Stephen. You've been listening to Stephen Crafty, 
Talking Design is produced by RMIT University and brought to you in partnership with Melbourne City Council. If you'd like to stay up to date with all things Talking Design, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at talkingdesign underscore.